The Bible reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 to 18. This can be found on page 1164 in the Church Bibles. You are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up, rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about the work already done in another man's territory. But let him who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if I'm ever interviewing someone uh, for a staff position um, or a, a volunteer in, in, in the church, a, a ministry position, uh, I often ask a question, something along the lines of this. How do you handle criticism? Or, or maybe I might phrase it, you know, how do you deal with conflict, perhaps? Uh, they're really important questions, actually, to ask. <laughs> Really important questions. Not because there's necessarily um, a right or a, a wrong answer to that question. Uh, although if someone did say to me, you know, oh, well, if someone said I didn't like, I'd punch them on the nose. I may think twice about, <laughs> about appointing them to a position. Um, no, they're really important questions because they reveal something about our character and something about our expectations. So again, if someone were to say, well don't expect to handle any conflict. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I don't expect to take any criticism. I may go, hmm, okay, <laughs> what are your expectations uh, really like? Because the truth is that everyone involved in any kind of ministry, uh, whether it's full-time, part-time, um, you know, as a volunteer, um, anything really. Uh, um, in fact, if you're a Christian, <laughs> let's face it, this is life, isn't it? Uh, everyone will at some point or another face criticism. And sometimes it's fair Sometimes, maybe not, um, but criticism in life, uh, especially if you're a Christian, is sadly unavoidable. I'm sure you can think of a time, whether it's recent or not, when you've taken some criticism. The criticism has been about you, perhaps, you personally, maybe about something you've, you've done. Maybe it's about your character. Uh, maybe you've had some criticism about your ability, uh, professional or otherwise, or what you're capable of doing. 
Maybe it's even strayed into morality. Maybe it's even strayed into, into your motivation for doing something. You were criticized for the reasons that you did something. And however well-intentioned or gently put <laughs> criticism is, it's still smart, doesn't it? still gets us in here. Something rankles when, when, when we are corrected or, or, or we get feedback in, 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 in such a way. And, 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 it, and it, 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 it affects us like, like nothing else, actually. And we can feel destabilized and unsure of ourselves. Sometimes we might feel the need to get defensive and try and you know, justify our actions or, 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 or prove to them why they are wrong for what they have said or, you know, or to make sense of what we have done or said in, in response. Maybe we'll even compare and criticize in return. Oh, you said that about? Oh, well, let me, let me tell you about, about you. And we deflect the issue. We point it, don't we, uh, somewhere else. Because the reality is that this thing called life, the Christian life, is painful sometimes. And you may wonder whether Paul or any other of the other writers of God's word, for that matter, you may wonder whether they, whether they get that. They get that it's really this painful. Well, I'm here this morning to tell you the good news that, yeah, they do. (laughs) Yes, they certainly do. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at here in 2 Corinthians 10. We see Paul modeling how to deal with criticism, how he deals with it in a godly manner. But what Paul gives us isn't just a lesson in basic morality. There's something far more important at stake. So let me just pray for us before we go any further that we would see this. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us this morning to see uh, not just how Paul dealt with criticism, but help us to see that. Help us also to see what's really at stake in these verses. And equip us through your word uh, as a result to live faithfully for you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder if you've ever had that experience of listening in uh, on, the, on the telephone to someone else. You're, in, or you're at home and you hear someone else, a member of your family, uh, on, the, on the telephone. You're, they're having a conversation. You only get to hear one side of that conversation, don't you? <laughs> you, don't, you don't hear uh, always uh, the, the other side. And so you find yourself trying to fill in the gaps and make sense of what is, uh, what is, what is going on, make educated guesses about what the other person might be saying. Uh, normally I'm quite good at this. I'm quite good at, at filling in the gaps. But sometimes I'll say to Debs, uh, as she, after she's got off the phone, what was it that they said that made you <gasps> go like that? <laughs> I really want to know. Or, or what was it that they, that they said that made you go, oh. Or what was it that they said that made you go, whatever it is, or whatever it is that she said. I've picked up on something, and I, I, want, to, I, want, to, uh, I want to find out. Well, it's a bit like that when it comes to reading 2 Corinthians. Because we are only hearing one side of the conversation, don't forget. We get Paul. We've got Paul here talking, uh, communicating to the Corinthians. What we don't get is what, uh, how the Corinthians respond to, uh, to, to, to Paul. Uh, and what we don't get is, is actually what has caused Paul to, to, to write what he's writing in the first place. But from what he does write, we can make, what we do hear here, we can make some educated guesses. And it appears that Paul has been taking some flack. So he has been criticised. Criticized for not living up to their expectation of what a true apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ should look like and what they should sound like. He's being attacked by these usurpers, those who would um, claim to teach the truth and who would claim actually that they're correcting Paul, uh, but who are in actual fact teaching a false gospel. 
And we're on the home straight now in this series, uh, this series through 2 Corinthians. We're hitting the last few uh, chapters. And as we do so, it's almost as if the gloves come off for Paul. Um, he, he takes off the glove and he, gloves and he wants to deal with this conflict head on. And he calls the Corinthians to come to their senses and return to the true gospel. So if you're not there already, grab a Bible, turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 10, just look at what Paul writes here uh, as, he, as, he, as we begin this little passage we're looking at this morning. He says, you are looking only on the surface of things. You're only looking on the surface of things. This is a sharp rebuke. He's telling the Corinthians that they are only looking at things from a human perspective. Ooh, we've heard that, haven't we, over the last few weeks? What are we going to look at? Are we going to look at it through a godly perspective or are we going to look at things through a human perspective? You are only looking on the surface of things, he says. In other words, you're only going skin deep. Go deeper. Go deeper. Go beyond, uh, if, if, to translate it into our, our sort of modern day language, go beyond the show. Go beyond stunning visuals and projectors and, and, and bands and, and, and good orators in the, in the pulpit. All is not what it may seem. Because guess what? That's where their confidence is. Their confidence is in that. Their confidence is in the show. And it is not in Jesus. So they claim to belong to Jesus. They claim that. But really they love the attention. They love the crowds. They love the adulation, the popularity. Read on, verse 7. You're, not, you're only looking on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing that the Lord is asking us through this passage this morning. Where is your confidence? When you are attacked, when you are criticized, where is your confidence? In fact, this question, I think, goes in, it applies to every circumstance, doesn't it? However our day-to-day life may pan out. Normally, though, it does come into focus when we're under those pressure moments and under those pressure moments of, of criticism or, or, or attack, pressure, where is your confidence? Is it really in Christ? Or is it in yourself? Are you trusting in Christ? Or only, are you only looking skin deep at what you can see, at what you can, uh, at what you can uh, literally trust yourself this is what Paul applies about, uh, implies about these false teachers. You see, they think their confidence is in Christ, but the way they attack Paul, the way they criticize him, shows it is placed elsewhere. They criticize Paul because he's weak. He's timid. He doesn't speak very well. He's inconsistent, they claim. These are all superficial human things to put your confidence in. So what does Paul do? He reminds them. He says, look, I, I'm not self-appointed. I'm not, I'm not self-appointed to this role. He's not looking on the surface in his response because he points to the authority of Jesus himself, the authority that was given um, on that Damascus road. So take a look at verse, um, verse 8. Uh, he says, for even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up, Rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. See, Paul's not ashamed of this God-given authority. He's not ashamed that his, his confidence is in Jesus. 
And what's interesting about this is that his God-given confidence, if you like, affects his motivation. So did you notice how he, wanted, how he wants to use that authority as he speaks to the Corinthian church? He wants to build the Corinthians up. He doesn't want to, to pull them down. And then in verse 9, I, I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. This is the language of a man who, who cares deeply, who loves this church. He's concerned about them. He wants the best for them. And Paul's appeal to this authority is not to big himself up, but rather to demonstrate where his confidence comes from and how much he is motivated in that confidence to do what is best for the church that he has helped plan. This, of course, is the, the best use of authority, isn't it? It's the best use of authority to, to build up and not to tear down. Authority that is not self-serving, but selfless, selfless in its giving. Authority that is not used to abuse. As sadly, much God-given authority can, can be used for, to abuse. Sadly, we see that in the church. God-given authority can be abused by the leaders. Sadly, we see it in our marriages. God-given authority can be abused in our marriages. We see it in the workplace. It's God-given authority. It can be abused. We even see it on, on the world stage, don't we? Leaders, national leaders, God-given authority, tragically abused. God-given authority should be used to build others up and help them put their confidence in Jesus and not themselves. So friends, I want to encourage you this morning that you use uh, the authority that God has given you for the good of others. Use that authority for the the good of others. Invariably, we all have authority to a greater or lesser extent. Yes, admittedly. Sometimes it's greater in our lives and other times it may be lesser. But at some point, whatever our situation, we will all have authority in some way, shape or form. And we are to use that authority in a godly manner. Putting our confidence in God and not on the surface of uh, of, of what we can see ourselves and not in ourselves. Now, you may be thinking, um, uh, John, I'm pretty sure that my confidence is in Jesus. I'm pretty sure about that. I, I certainly want it to be, uh, but sometimes when the chips are down, I'm not so sure. How can, how can I know? How can I be certain that my confidence is in Christ? Well, in the rest of these verses, uh, I think we can discern five things, actually. Five, five things that characterize those whose confidence is truly in God and not themselves. So as we, as we go through them, let's use them to do a little bit of a, a self-reflection, if you like, and, and ask, could these things uh, be said about us? So five characteristics, if you like, of those whose confidence is in Jesus and not themselves. The first characteristic uh, is this, consistency. Consistency. So be consistent. This is, we're hitting verse, uh, verse 10 now. Take a look at, um, at verse 10. For some say, this is about Paul, his letters, Paul's letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. 
Now, we actually know there's an element of truth about this, actually, don't we? Paul's letters are weighty. They are forceful. They're deep. uh, They're morally demanding. uh, And sometimes, uh, even as Peter is (laughs) very helpful to, to draw our attention to us, sometimes they're just really difficult to understand. What is he going on about? In person, however, he may not have been the best speaker. But then again, the significant leaders that the Lord often chooses to use often aren't, are they? I mean, think of Moses, think of Jeremiah. Reluctant speakers, weak speakers. But that, this makes sense, doesn't it? Remember the whole theme of this book in, in 2 Corinthians? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And this, this upside-down world of the kingdom of God, where weakness God takes, and uh, human weakness God takes and, and turns it into, uh, into spiritual strength. So Paul may well have lacked the sparkle, the charisma, the the technical giftedness, if you like, in in public speaking that his opponents insisted uh, were the sort of true marks, the the true marks uh, of authentic Christian leaders and preachers. But Paul sees no contradiction. So verse 11, he says this. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters, when we are absent, we will be um, in our actions when we are present. In other words, Paul is making the point that what you see is what you get. He's consistent. Which raises an obvious question for us, doesn't it? Are we? Are we consistent? Are we consistent as followers of Jesus? You know, if the, if, if the, if the public and the, the sort of private faces of our Christianity were to meet... Here's the question. Would they recognize each other? Or or to put it another way, if the people, the non-Christian people that you spend much of the week with were with you right now, sat sat, uh, by your side for an hour on Sunday, or they came with you to house group for that hour on on a Wednesday Wednesday night, an hour or so, you know, every fortnight, would they recognize the person they spend the rest of their time with? It's a tough question to answer, isn't it? But what we see here is that those who, whose confidence is in the Lord Jesus are consistent. There's no difference. And it's not just about consistent behavior, though. It's about consistent theology. Are we prepared to, to believe one thing privately? You know, I believe in the sanctity uh, of life. Um, you know, I believe that Jesus uh, rose from the dead literally rose from the dead. I believe that, 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 that sex is best uh, left for one man and one woman for life in the context of marriage. You know, are we prepared to believe these things privately and then not contend for that truth in the so-called public square? Or even to correct ourselves and challenge each, each, each other? Because in this day and age of tolerance and, and, and so-called diversity, do you know what, actually it's just too difficult and I don't know if I want to go there. Truth is, most of us, and I include myself here, most of us, we tend to shy away from awkward conversations, don't we? We don't like that that awkwardness. We don't like that difficulty. We hate accusations. We hate that confrontation that that comes with this. We hate appearing judgmental, and that's, that's right. That's a good natural reaction, isn't it? But when it stops us from being consistent, we have a problem. And if we don't humbly... 
Mike was talking about that humility earlier. If we don't humbly, if we don't gently, if we don't lovingly, if we don't confront in that manner the godless behavior that we see amongst ourselves and we see in the world outside, we lay ourselves open to the very accusation that Paul is talking about here. We say one thing, we believe one thing, but actually we do another or we act as if we don't believe that. As one commentator says, he says this, whatever the situation, whatever the cost, Paul spoke the gospel into people's lives. The commentator says, is that me? Is that you speaking the gospel into people's lives? He goes on, God calls us to this kind of joined up life so that when trouble comes, nobody can say that we are changing our story to suit ourselves. Let's be consistent, he says. Let's be consistent, St. John's. The next characteristic of those whose confidence is in Jesus Christ is seen in a refusal to make comparisons. So refuse to make comparisons. This is uh, verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Same commentator who I just uh, quoted also says this. Comparing ourselves with other people when it comes to gospel ministry really is appalling, he says. In fact, it shows that we have completely lost the gospel plot. I love that. (laughs) If we compare ourselves with each other, we have lost the gospel plot. And yet we do it, don't we? (laughs) We do it. All the time, we do it as individuals. Why are they a better musician? Why, why do they seem to be able to pray better? Why are they better with kids, with young people than me? Or we'll go the other way. Okay, he may be great at that, but you know what? When you see him with other people, he's a little bit socially awkward. He may be great with his theology, but he's a little bit socially awkward, and, and I'm actually pretty good with people. Why do they always get asked to do something? Why, why, is it, why is it that person that always asks? I'm actually better equipped than that person to do that, and yet they always seem to get asked to do it. We do it as individuals. We do it as church leaders. <laughs> Did it yesterday. Lynn was here. Oh, he, he communicates so well. He does it without notes. How can he do it? How can he stand there without notes and preach? She always seems to have great answers to hand. Those answers come to her just like that. They're not there for me. He never gets anything done. I'm just much better at organizing things than he is. And then we can do it as a church, can't we? Isn't our church great? So many people come along. We've got a great youth work here. Our youth work is way better than sent blogs down the road. Our doctrine is spot on. It's much better than, you know, that, that liberal parish, da, da, you know. We can do it as individuals, as church, as leaders, as, as a church, collectively. Friends, these kinds of comparisons are disastrous. We need to be alert to that ever-present danger of measuring our success, measuring our, our, our value through comparisons with, with, with each other. Uh, be those comparisons Christian ones or, or, or be they secular ones. I've said this before. I'll keep on saying it. We are not called to success as Christians, folks. We are called to faithfulness. We are called to faithfulness. And our value does not come through our performance. But our value comes through the fact that we are created. 
We are made. We are beings of the living God. We're in his image. We are adopted as Christians into his family by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That's where our value comes from. Amen? You can say it. It's good. It's fine. I know we don't do it normally, but you can say it if you agree with it. Amen? That's where it comes from. And the only standard that that matters is the approval of God. And so we need to commit. We need to refuse to play this comparison game. I mean, this is Jesus himself, isn't it? I was reminded of this in my reading a couple of days ago. You know, Jesus' parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. You remember that one? Pharisee, I thank you, God, that I am not like the others. Tax collector, be merciful to me, Lord. Be merciful to me. Jesus, the one who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself, as we are encouraged at the start of the service, will be exalted. And it's a mugs game anyway, isn't it, comparing, doing the comparison thing? It's a mugs game because there are only two outcomes when you compare. If if I compare myself to you, two things are going to happen. Well, one of two things are going to happen, sorry. Either I'm going to conclude that I'm better than you, and that's going to lead me to pride, or I'm going to conclude that I'm worse than you, and that's going to lead me into a dark place and depression. See, thinking we're better leads to pride, it leads to arrogance. We congratulate ourselves on our superiority. But thinking we're worse leads to envy, it leads to bitterness, it leads to depression. And we end up resenting those who who seem to have accomplished more than us. It's a mugs game. To refuse to make comparisons with the others. The only thing that matters is your faithfulness to Jesus and his calling on your life. And of course, your performance in that, your performance in that calling is always empowered. This is the wonderful thing, isn't it? It's always empowered by him. And it's done with plenty of grace. His grace is there for when we fail. Thirdly, we need to stay focused um, on our God-given task. So this is uh, verse uh, 13. Uh, Stay focused on your God-given task, which is actually something that Paul's opponents struggled to do. They struggled to remain focused. Uh, again, if we listen to one side of the telephone call, it seems to reveal that uh, those people wanted to take over from Paul. They wanted to get the glory. Paul, however, keeps things in perspective. Verse 13 then. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. In other words, Paul is saying, we know who we were called to evangelize. We know our area of responsibility. We know who we have responsibility for. And we are not going, this is verse 14, we are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did not get as far as, uh, sorry, I keep saying it, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. We did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits. Paul is saying here that he he is still responsible for looking after this church uh, in Corinth. It's his God-given task, remember. And no one is going to detract him from that God-given task. No one. Least of all these self-appointed teachers who are actually leading the the church astray. So, what is is your God-given task? What is your God-given task to remain focused on? Well, it is whatever and wherever the Lord has currently placed you right now in his sovereign will. 
That's your task. That's your mission field that you need to remain focused on. How do I live faithfully? How do I share the good news of Jesus in my family right now in my situation? How do I do that faithfully, live faithfully in my workplace, in my school, in my neighborhood, wherever it is? See, we all have this front line. We all have this area where we spend much of our time. We all have this area where we encounter non-Christians. And wherever it is, whatever it is, this is your God-given task. He's put you and he has put you only in that situation at this point in time. That may change in the future. The task may, you know, the Lord may move you on. You may look to move on. But right now, live in the here and now and stay focused on the task appointed to you. Fourthly, and somewhat linked, never take someone else's credit. So this is verse uh, 15. Verse 15, neither do we go beyond our limits of boasting of work done by others. You see what he's doing? In other words, Paul says we don't take credit for someone else's faithfulness. Our hope is that, he says, as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in all regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory. So it would appear that these false leaders were actually taking the credit themselves for the work done by Paul in Corinth. They wanted that credit for themselves. The problem is, is not so much taking the credit off, uh, off of others in as much as it's taking the credit off God. It's taking the, the credit from God in the way that he works through his people. Nevertheless, the principle applies to both others and, and to God. And if we are living lives in the confidence of Jesus Christ, if our, if our confidence is in Jesus Christ, we have no need to grab credit from others or from God and and try and claim that credit as our own. No need at all. Instead, instead, and here we get to the main point in Paul's argument in these verses. Instead, verse 17, what does it say? But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, now, those of you who are already familiar with this part of 2 Corinthians will know that Paul does his fair share of boasting in these chapters. Uh, sometimes he's being serious, sometimes there's, there's huge uh, amounts of irony in here. And, uh, but a quick glance of, uh, over chapter 10 and 11, will, you'll see just how often he uses this word boast. Uh, and for those of us brought up convinced that boasting is not a virtue, uh, it can make uncomfortable reading. Why all this talk about boasting, Paul? It's not helpful. (laughs) We're not supposed to boast. But I think what Paul is doing is that he is keen to realign our, our understanding of that word. Clearly, he sees that there is a kind of boasting uh, which is okay. There is a kind of boasting that doesn't seem to draw attention and praise to ourselves, but to someone else. And what we see is it's actually all about the object and the motivation of our boasting. So it's about the object of our boasting and our motivation for boasting. So bad boasting, if you like, has, 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 has as its object, myself, uh, and, and, it, and, and, its, and its motivation uh, to, to, to sort of um, uh, to, to, to big, to big um, myself up. Pride, if you like. 
That's bad motivation. Good motivation has as its object something or someone else, and its motivation is love. Its motivation is, is love. Any of us who have had family members who have done something special, you know, be they parents, siblings, children, you know, we know a little of this, this good boasting, don't we? You know, uh, our, our, our pride is in them for that picture that they drew. We love it. Our pride is in them for that charity challenge that they completed. Our pride is in them for, for when they um, persevere under trial in difficult circumstances. Our pride is in them when they come to the front and they read well at church and, you know. We, we sense that. We know something of it. But even then, even then, uh, our, uh, we're hoping that sometimes our association with them will rub off slightly and we may get a little bit of kudos in the eyes of the person that we're talking to about what, what they've done. And so Paul spells it out. The best kind of boasting has Jesus Christ as the object of the boasting and love for him as its motivation. Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. What's different about that phrase? in your Bibles? How's it emphasized to us in, 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 your, in the Bibles, anyone? This is the, uh, the participation. There's something different about that phrase. How's it emphasized to us? And why does it stand out to us in our Bibles? Who's going to be brave enough to say it? Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What does it, what, how is that stood out? Anyone? Quote marks. It's in quotations, isn't it? It's, 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 it's in quotations, and that's supposed to clue us in, if you like. If you've got a cross-reference Bible, um, uh, it does the work for you. You can see there that there's a cross-reference. It's a, a footnote. Uh, it should take you um, to Jeremiah 9. It's like a hyperlink. When you see that, okay, this is, this is, like, this is Paul hyperlinking. He's saying, right, I'm going to give you an abbreviated version, but this is the hyperlink uh, to, the full back, to, the, to the full version. So if you just turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 9, and uh, 23, verse 23 and 24... We'll see what, uh, see what that says. Because Paul is using, um, using that bit in, in 2 Corinthians as this shorthand, this hyperlink, if you like. So go back to Jeremiah um, uh, chapter 9, verse 23 to 24. This is what the Lord declares in Jeremiah. This is the Lord declaring this, okay? Verse 23. Let not the wise man... Boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me. He understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. What a wonderful passage that is. Friends, here is the really important thing that we shouldn't miss. The key, the key to living confidently in Christ is to know him, to be in relationship with him, to treasure him, to treasure him above everything else. We boast 
We boast about the Lord Jesus Christ, our treasure. Our treasure. And we are motivated by love to do that. Remembering that this is what delights God. So if you flick back to to, to verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 10, remembering this is what delights God. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Uh, I, like you, I'm sure, have been through some pretty bruising criticism in my time. Uh, it does come with the territory uh, of being, a, uh, being involved in leadership in a church, and some of that, as I said, is, is, has been fair. Uh, some of it, uh, maybe not. But I remember in my early years as a church leader coming across a quote that's uh, attributed to Theodore Roosevelt. I found it particularly encouraging. Uh, I'm sure some of you are probably familiar with it, but I want to share it with you by, by way of conclusion, okay? And this is, uh, this is what he said at the beginning of the 20th century. Roosevelt said, It is not the critic who counts. It is not the one who points out how the strong man stumbles or how the doer of deeds might have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with sweat and dust and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. My one correction to Roosevelt's quote is that ultimately, of course, credit doesn't belong to the man. It always supremely belongs to God. But with that one caveat aside... May I commend this quote to you as you seek to live, as you seek to fight daily with your confidence placed supremely in Jesus Christ? May you strive valiantly to be consistent. May your face be marred with the blood and the sweat of refusing. It's hard work to refuse to compare yourself to other people. It's hard. May you stay focused on on your God-given task with that great enthusiasm. And may you commit to the worthy cause of never taking someone else's credit. And and if you do fail, (laughs) when we fail, when we fail, on the surface of things, may we rest secure knowing that our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ and not in our own human ability. So boast, Christian, boast. He gets the credit. He gets the glory, the honor, the praise. But boast in love about what the Lord Jesus is doing. Let's pray. Father, on the surface, these verses uh, are are difficult and um, when we probe more deeply we find them even more challenging and so I would simply ask that uh, you would do your work among us by the power of your spirit Lord convict us where we need convicting encourage us where we need encouraging and help us to to keep on living and fighting faithfully for you Lord show us where our confidence is not in you 
and help us to change. We pray it for his name and glory. Amen.